podcast, a place to experience a grace that heals. We are glad you are here because we're excited about how grace can transform your life and your relationships. Absolutely. So I'm Joel. And I'm Lynn. And today we're going to talk about this Jesus of grace. Yes. Um, Who is he? Well, everybody lays claim to Jesus. I mean, if there's anything that biblical grace-based religion and performance-based religion have in common, it's Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, I think as we look at it, we may find it's not the exact same Jesus, and that's kind of really important, but I would say if there's anything people are probably going to agree with that are looking at this, it's going to be, yeah, Jesus is important. Uh, but. As we look at grace and Jesus, to me it's fascinating that when you look, especially at the New Testament, in over 30 passages, well in over 30 verses, it may be more when you look at entire passages, Jesus and grace are associated together, except over 30 times in the New Testament. So Jesus is the God of grace, and that's what we kind of want to explore. Um, so start us off by maybe just refreshing, putting into context, you know, what is grace? Uh, when we talk about grace, how do we understand the term grace? And then we'll kind of bring that back to Jesus. Well, grace is unmerited favor or some gift that we've received that we don't deserve. It's um, completely wacky because it doesn't make any sense, and yet you have this overwhelming gratitude for it because it's precious. Right. So that's the that's what's behind grace. And in the New Testament especially, well in the New Testament because that's where Jesus appears is in the New Testament, um, Jesus is the one who provides grace. He is like the author of grace. The Father is also the author of grace because he sends Jesus. And Um, I've got a verse that kind of encapsulates, I think, a lot of that that I wanted to at least start us out by looking at. Um, There's a lot of verses. We're not going to be able to touch all of them, though. Um, As usual, in the show notes, we will put any of the verses we reference and probably quite a few of these other ones. But the verse I really wanted us to look at was Romans chapter 5, verse 17. And it has already mentioned grace in the chapter, but in in verse 17, it says, um, well, actually, I had to start earlier. I had to start in verse 15 because that's where the thought starts. So we're going to just start in verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. What has just come before is the idea that Just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death, death spread to all men, in the same way, life comes through Jesus. Called the last Adam. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So, but it's saying, and this life is a free gift. Paul has already said, um, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Well, actually, I think he's going to say that in the next chapter. So, but he's saying... The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. 
So now you're going to have to explain that in lay language, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, what he's saying is when Adam sinned, Adam's sin introduces death to everyone. So every man born after Adam has what is referred to as a sin nature. Um, it said, we are sinners by birth, by choice, by practice, and by generational influence. We're going to disintegrate, we're going to get old, we're going to die. Right. And everyone is going to sin. But what, what the past, what Paul is explaining is, when death came from Adam, it came as a judgment, as a punishment on everyone who existed. And without outside help, it's irreversible. It's like a cancer for which there is no cure. But there's this free gift that comes in. So sin comes, excuse me, through Adam as a curse. Life comes through Jesus as a gift. There's the contrast. So the free gift isn't like the trespass. The trespass brought death, but the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of Jesus Christ brought life. And um, I'm going to have you, are you in Romans? No, you're in your verse. Yes. My iPad just died. So, um, sorry, but let's go to. You want to hand me your Bible? Sure. Can I have that one? Uh huh. Um, So let's go to you, verse while I look this back (laughs) up. Hey, we're, if not anything, we're flexible, right? One of my favorite verses is 2 Timothy 1.9, and it says that he has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and his grace. Um, Talking about God, right? Yeah. Through Jesus. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death, right? Yes, and I'm going to say the same thing to you. So put that into kind of natural lay language. So what's going on here in just this couple of verses? There's a lot of theology. Yeah, before the ages began, there was grace in Jesus Christ, and he chose to come and take our sins, right, at Mm -hmm. a certain time in history so that we might live. So this grace has been with God a long time. It is a major part of the plan of salvation. Right. right? And it's given freely. It's given freely. In fact, it's given to us before we could even do anything about it. Yeah, for his Before the foundation of the world. Yeah. So that really kind of um, turns a lot of performance-based religion on its head because within performance-based religion... It's all about you. When you do good things or when you kind of connect in with God, then you get this grace that helps. And as long as you continue to do well, you kind of continue to get the grace or the power. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's really a lot of the pressure is on you to keep performing so that you're still in good with God. 
the exact opposite of what this verse is saying, that before anything else, the grace is being extended to us, and it's not at all about what we do to earn it or maintain it or anything. Right. Our works have nothing to do with his grace. Nothing. That's going to make some people uncomfortable, I think, because there's a part of us that doesn't like the idea of doing nothing to get God's favor. And yet I suppose I should clarify, it's not that good works don't appear and aren't a fruit of grace, but they do not come in order to earn grace. One um, performance-based religion defines grace as an enabling power that allows you to live the commandments the rest of that, of course, is so that you can work your way, right, to earn eternal wow. life. And yet, that's not what the Bible says. It says it comes through grace, through faith in Jesus. It's a free gift. And it says that it's while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. That Christ didn't come for the righteous. He came for the unrighteous yes. to make us righteous. Um, I think it's in Ephesians that talks about we were dead in trespasses and sin. Spiritually, we were unable to even respond to God until his quickening grace makes our spirits alive so we can even begin to see. And I don't know if you have any stories off the cuff, but I, and I can't think of any specific, but I know so many times where I've heard testimonies of people who said, I was just kind of like going along in my life clueless to how alienated I was from God, clueless from my standing with God, and it's like God intervened and flipped a switch, and all of a sudden I saw myself radically different from how I'd seen myself before. And there's that grace of God showing us our need for grace, um, which is so cool when it happens, but if you're kind of on the other side in a performance-based religion and you feel like you're doing well, it's almost insulting to be told, well, actually you need something from outside of you. What you're doing isn't really something that is pleasing to God. Pretty much every person I talk to in ministry that begins to have an interest in this God of grace has had some kind of a drawing experience. Sometimes they're pretty profound. Here's one of my favorite ones. Okay. Several years ago, I got a phone call from a gentleman who was quite distraught on the other end. And he kept saying, I think I'm crazy. There's something wrong with me. I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't put the Bible down. Wow. He just he, had, he called you out of the blue? How did he hear about what did he hear about? I'm sure he found me on the internet probably, okay. like most So he just calls you up and this is what he starts telling you. Yes, he's quite upset. <laughs> okay. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, it's as if grace has reached out and changed this man. Now was he, he in a performance based religion at the time? He was. Okay. Yes. Still was at the time, actually. And I'm not even sure he knew what happened to him. He just knew that some great change had happened so that all of a sudden he had this incredible interest in this Jesus of the Bible and he just couldn't stop reading about him. Yeah. And I mean, and that's the amazing thing. And that's, I guess, what I'd like to say to the people that are listening 
and or watching, um, if, of course, of this podcast, something else, if you start to feel that draw, let, let us assure you this is a good thing from God. This is God calling out to your heart. Don't try to ignore that. Don't try to stifle that. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and be drawn into the grace of God if he is calling you. Um, because, and you may not understand it. And by all means, we say it at the end of pretty much every podcast, but we'll say it in the middle today. Feel free to get a hold of us. There will be contact information in the show notes and with the podcast. And so we would love to hear from you and direct you to support groups and places to get help. So please don't stay alone. If you're listening, hearing this, and you're going, wow, this is me. I don't know what to do. I think I'm going crazy. Um, let us first of all say you're not. And then secondly say we're happy to help. There's a lot of other people like you. Absolutely. Your ministry even has a mentoring um, pairing for folks who have an interest and want to someone to walk with them through we this do. traumatic process. And I actually walk with people every day through this process, as do other folks in our associated ministries. So, so yeah, please alone. get, yeah, mm -hmm. excuse me. And to me, that is such a cool testimony of the fact that Jesus is alive. He is still drawing people to himself. He still wants intimate personal relationship. He wants to provide a grace that heals and transforms lives. And we're seeing evidence of that every single day. Um, I want to jump back real quick to Romans 5. Um, now that I have the Bible back open. Um, to again just kind of show this, so um, I'm going to just continue on in verse 16. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. So here's again the other big contrast. One sin of Adam, that disobedience, that exercising, um, Adam exercised his autonomy, he exercised his free, free will, agency. he exercised mm -hmm. his free agency and turned against God, and that one act of sin brought death to everyone. And this verse is saying, even though it happened that way, in kind of the exact opposite, one man's righteous life, the righteous life of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, became the source for life now to be given to many. That Jesus, by the way, being the only man that ever lived, that lived the law perfectly. Right. Jesus... Um, the rules and regulations, he got them all down. No one else has ever or will ever do that again. Right. And, and the amazing thing about Jesus is he not only lived a perfect life in relationship to commandments, even when his own will was concerned, it says that he never willed any will but the will of the Father. So Jesus not only does all the Father wants, mm -hmm. he wills the will of the Father. And I, you know, I think about my own will. There are times when I may do the right thing, but I'm going against my will in doing it. My will wants to do something. 
So Jesus' obedience was so perfect. It was total in every way. Mm -hmm. Which is why when he dies, offers his life as a sacrifice, as he's raised again to life and that sacrifice is accepted by the Father, we know through the New Testament, by the fact that he was raised from the dead, now that perfect life gets handed to Lynn. And instead of your life of sin and all the other stuff we're all guilty of, God says, you know what, Lynn? I trade you all that sin for the perfect life of Jesus. You take this mm. and you can't be any more perfect in my sight because you're just as perfect in my sight as my son if you take his righteousness. God's righteousness, Jesus' righteousness imputed right. is the word the Bible uses, right? into my life so that when the father looks at me he sees only the righteousness of jesus which is why you can have an intimate relationship with the father there's nothing to keep you from the father's love his approval yeah it's an amazing way to live life and once that happens you become a child of god right not born a child of god but Become a child of God when you're adopted as a yes. son or a daughter into the family, when you accept Jesus through faith yep. and are saved by grace. Yeah, And that's part of the incredible promises of Ephesians chapter 1, all the stuff that we get in mm. Christ. So, we've got the gift of God. Now, verse 17 is like the one verse that almost sums up this whole thing. It says, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace mm -hmm. and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Whoa. So there it is. There's the gift of grace, that gift of righteousness that gets given to us. And it not only changes our relationship with the Father now, we then get to reign in Jesus Christ. So our whole future is guaranteed. From that point, right? Right. The point of faith in Jesus. Yes. So We have eternal life, it yes. says. And we can know it. So you and I um, can go through life um, calm. Um, yeah. assured, freed, freed, because I, I know my future. Authentic. Right. Yeah. I can be honest. Mm -hmm. I can be, I can let you see my junk mm -hmm. because my junk no longer defines me. Even the sin I commit now, and I still do, that doesn't define me. I'm defined by the righteousness and the grace of mm -hmm. Jesus. And the other thing I think is really cool is I get to extend that to you yeah. and you get to extend that to me. So when we, when we do sin, when we disappoint, when we hurt, wow, within community, you know, and I've had, I've had friends come to me and say, Joel, man, I just, I feel so horrible. I've got a small group of guys, accountability, friends, and we tell each other everything. And they have every right at any time to go to my wife and ask her and say, hey, how's Joel doing? And that's mutual. But, I mean, to have them come to me and say, wow, Joel, this is a really bad week. You know, I struggled with porn. I yelled at my kids. I, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And for me to listen to all that and what I get to say to them is, 
Oh, is that all you got? Because I can probably take all that, and on any given day, that plus is my junk too. Mm -hmm. And the community and the help and the freedom that there is, but that's only possible if there's grace. And there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Romans 8.1. Mm -hmm. So as we wrap up here, I guess the question I'd like to ask you, because you lived a lot of years in a performance-based religion. How does that, somebody responding with, oh, is that all you got? Because, you know, I got all that in spades, plus there's no way I'm going to condemn you because I know my own heart, I know my own junk. How does that compare to what happens within a performance-based group? Because everybody's carrying their junk around, whether they admit it or not. Yeah, and, and because there's always measuring going on in performance-based, three things happen. Shame. Yes. Guilt. Yes. And fear. Wow. And the Bible says that God has not given us the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear doesn't come from God. Neither does shame, neither does guilt necessarily, right? Right. Um, but freedom in Christ and love and, and the grace to go out and give other people love, but yes. not continually being under this self-condemnation and this others' condemnation right. to live freely in Christ. So what kind of community is there then when you have those, man, with shame, guilt, and fear, when those are kind of the unholy triad, um, what does that do to community? I, I didn't have any authentic community, I wouldn't say, for 30 years. Certainly when I lived where there were lots of folks around me in the same performance-based religion, I would never have opened my mouth and been honest about a weakness or really? maybe a sin, right? Yeah. Because I would be afraid that someone would run to my ecclesiastical leader and then there might be consequences, particularly for me with my job working for that organization. Right. Um, there might have been some pretty dire consequences as people are judging my sin, right? So I often say to um, Bible believers that if you have friends in performance-based religion, Please love, love, love on them. Provide a safe place for them to come where they can talk yes. about things that they struggle with, questions that they have, and then never open your mouth and tell other people about that, but be a safe place for them so that they can, they have freedom to be authentic somewhere. Right, because I'm sure people in performance-based religion still yell at their kids. I'm sure people in performance-based religions, you know, are still still have, you know, spats with their husbands and wives and there's fallout and there's hurt. But man, if you can never express that, if you can never talk about that, and especially not to be able to talk about that in a context where somebody goes, yeah, me too. 
man, within the community of believers, that's that's where we all live. We're all me too. None of us is perfect. We're learning through what we're discussing on these episodes in this podcast is what it means to be an imperfect person who is perfectly loved. Yeah, and love to extend that. that to other people. So what would be the contrast? So if we have shame and guilt and fear, what are those replaced with in the, the Christian, the grace-based community? Instead of shame, we would have acceptance. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm yeah. wanting you to help me think because I haven't Feel, thought about this. Well, I have an identity in Christ. Right. And I know who I am in Christ. And so I have, I wouldn't say a confidence, but a peace, right? Okay. In knowing who I am, what I believe, how much he loves me, kind of... Um, how he says I should live, those kind of things. Okay, so instead of shame, we have acceptance in this whole thing. Instead of guilt, we have forgiveness. Yes, absolutely. And we instead of... We should do all on unforgiveness, yes. <laughs> so put that in the show notes. Or <laughs> then we need to do a podcast on grace and forgiveness, which I think might be on the list, actually. And then instead of fear, we have confidence we have um, it says perfect love casts out fear yeah well unfortunately that's all the time we have for this episode but never fear Lynn and I will be back next week and we will continue this conversation about this amazing Jesus of grace and the community we can experience when we leave behind the shame the fear and the guilt that so often characterizes performance-based religion. So join us next time. And in the meantime, don't forget to visit our website, unveilinggracepodcast.com. There you can find the show notes, past episodes, and Lynn and I would love to hear from you. So leave us your questions, your comments, a note. And in the meantime, we trust and pray that you will be able to experience a grace that heals.